another episode of Block Talk presented by Theater the Now. I'm your host, as always, Michael Block. If you love the podcast, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review while you're there. And as always, follow me on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk, on Twitter at BlockTalkNYC, and visit theaterthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. He's NYC's Broadway brony of Boylesque. Say hello to the fabulous Milo Pony. Hello. Hello, Mr. Block. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Um, for those listening, we are one day beyond the new administration. It's a new day. Ooh. A new day has come. How are you we woke up this morning to only positive headlines. And... I know. It's crazy. It's almost oh, like we it's don't a sigh need... of relief. Yeah, it's like we don't need CNN or MSNBC anymore. We don't need to watch it because they have nothing to report. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see what they do report. Yeah. Like maybe we can just go back to a fireman took a kitty out of a tree. <laughs> that would be incredible. But yeah, it, it, it just, it feels good. Every, I feel like everyone feels better now. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk to you and learn all about you. Um, I've watched you at the Beachman. I've, I've seen some digital things. You're a fucking talented performer. Oh, well, thank you. That's very sweet of you, considering how many people you watch probably on a daily basis. I, 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 I've, I have my fair share of people in nightlife. I've, I've watched a lot. <laughs> Don't ask me to do a ranking. Um, I, I won't. I'm not Jim Sylvester. You're not going to do that. Ooh. Love him to death, but I, 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 I would actually get destroyed. People would kill me. Oh, no. I mean... I do love Jim though, because I just, I love how controversial people think he is. And I'm like, the man is just, he's giving you free publicity for one thing. Exactly. You know, he reports on our show and I'm always just like, thank you. You can say it's bad. You can say it's good. Thank you. (laughs) Exactly. And like people upset where the placement is in the right, in his dot list. He basically like looks at how many times he's actually typed your name for a event and that helps boost you up so yeah. you don't like your place go do more yeah for the most part well let's talk about you and i always like to start from the beginning where are you from uh, i'm from a little town in connecticut called cheshire it's just north of new haven nice and what what what's life like in cheshire it's a small town uh, i think when i was growing up it was like thirty-five thousand people mm-hmm. one high school um, you know, it's that town when you know your neighbors, you know the people down the street, you know when you go trick-or-treating, the families know their kid, you know, they know the kids coming to the door yeah. and, and things like that. Um, you can walk to your friend's street, you can walk to your friend's neighborhood, that type of stuff. And what were you like so, as a kid? Um, I was probably I was a little weirdo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, always singing, always talking. Uh, I was a little, I was a little weirdo. I, I played well with others. You know, I was lucky that I grew up on a street where I had kids my own age. So it was that time of that time of life when you could literally just push your kid out the door and say, go play. Yeah. You know, Are, were and we you... would, we would disappear for three hours and then your parents would call your name and everyone would go running back to their houses. 
were you someone who played like sports with the, the neighbor kids or were you like tag or what, what kind of games did you play? We did everything. We used to, um, we used to do, we called it night games, which I believe mm. is probably a use, you know, a well-used term, but we used to do like nighttime tag on someone's mm-hmm. lawn. Um, but we were always playing like basketball on the street or kickball or stuff like that. I grew up with very um, athletic siblings as well. Mm-hmm. So I would play basketball with my sister and I would, you know, just, it was what we had. So it's what we did. Nice. Like when you talk about nighttime games, was like Ding Dong Ditch one of them? No, but I want to hear the rules of that game. Oh, Ding Dong Ditch. You literally just go door to door, ding, ring the bell and run. Oh, no, we played like um, like epic games of tag where it was like mm-hmm. you had to, you could use like three people's lawns. Uh, that sounds fun. And, and uh, you know, we had a, a pretty quiet street, not a lot of through traffic. Um, mm-hmm. So we could actually use the street at most times of the day. And, you know, it wasn't just like cars coming everywhere. Nice. So you, you talked about you had athletic siblings. I'm assuming you also had an artistic side growing up. I did. Um, I was the kid that was always in choir mm-hmm. or some sort of chorus uh, as a young age. I was constantly singing or making up songs when I was a kid. Um, so that was that was kind of what led me into everything. Um, I had people that were like, oh, he has an ear for picking up tunes. Oh, he has pitch. He can match what I'm doing. And so it just kind of got pushed through into music class. And then eventually in middle school and high school, I was um, in choir, but also competitively singing and doing musicals. And we had a town play every summer. Mm-hmm. So we started doing that when we were younger. And uh, that's how I started dancing was I would just literally be like, oh, I don't really know the terms or I don't really know how to quote unquote dance, but show me what you want me to do. And I'll just mimic it. And uh, yeah, and eventually you meet people that put you into a class and then teach you how to do things properly and how to balance. And I actually was a gymnast for a little mm-hmm. bit as a kid. So I had good, um, good knowledge of my body and how it worked. Nice. Now, being from Connecticut, the proximity to New York City, probably mm-hmm. pretty close. Were, was theater a big part of your life? Yes and no. I loved it. Um, I did not see my first live Broadway show until I think I was a freshman or sophomore. Okay. Do you remember what it was? Oh, no, wait, I'm lying. I was in eighth grade. Um, My first Broadway show was a matinee of Annie Get Your Gun with Bernadette Peters and Tom Wolfat. All right. Um, And it was... Amazing. That revival was so good. (laughs) Um, My first theater show in general was I was eight years old and my parents took all of us. I'm one of four, the youngest of four. My parents took all of us to see the tour of Les Mis at the Bushnell in Hartford. And like I said, I was eight. And my mother always tells this story that you know, we were all, I was probably wearing a shirt and tie. I, you know, I was very dressed up and looked cute as a button, but as you bring kids into a theater, the people around my parents were like rolling their eyes and like, oh great, we have to sit next to this child for this epic musical. And uh, apparently I was dead quiet and sat on the edge of my chair the whole time. 
So I think that's it, why my mother knew cap- she was in trouble. <laughs> it's a captivating musical. I, I will say um, I saw, I guess it was the original production of it um, when I was in high school because it was still running. Um, and like, I think part of the reason why I went to see Les Mis on Broadway was we were doing Les Mis and band. So we knew the music. Definitely fell asleep. Totally fell asleep. <laughs> and I love theater. Too long, too much. I'm not an epic musical person. Oh, see, a good epic musical, I just think with the, that when you get the huge orchestra and you get all that sound yeah. and those beautiful voices and that those huge choral ensemble arrangements, that's oh, just wonderful. So theater, was that what you would study in college? Yes, I have a BFA from Syracuse University Very in musical cool. theater. I, I almost went to Syracuse. They wanted me very badly as a stage manager, but I said, it is too cold. A lot of people say that, um, although their stage management program is fantastic. Yes. It's fantastic. That, Those that, kids work their asses off. And that is why I was going to go because I knew the education was going to be fantastic. But <laughs> so I, I, it was too cold for Syracuse. So I ended up going to Boston. What's the difference? I, it's just a different type of snow. You still exactly. get snow. Exactly. But it's just a little, it's, it's wet snow instead of dry snow. <laughs> exactly. Um. And as you studied theater at Syracuse, were you someone who was given lead roles, ensemble roles? What, what was your typecasting? I was all over the place. Um, I, I'm one of those people that like, I, I love being in an ensemble. Mm-hmm. You know, I love being in a show, period. So whether you get to sing solos, whether you get a lead role, whether you get an understudy, whether you get um, an ensemble role, I, it's just fun. As long as the show is good and the music is fun, it's, I just have a good time. I did everything from, um, you know, being in the ensemble of Kiss Me Kate, being in mm-hmm. the ensemble of You're in Town, to I got to play John in John and Jen by Andrew Lippa, which is a two-person yeah. musical. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do whatever is thrown my way. I, I think I was like that as a kid. You know, that, that was always instilled in me that even if you have one line, make it the best line in the show. So, you know, put your work in, even if you have the bit part and make the most out of it. Did you have a dream role? I have a few dream roles and I feel like they revise every year as I get older slash as new things get written. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted to play the MC in Cabaret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because, um, well, first off, when I started auditioning in New York, countless times people would stop and say, you kind of have a, a young Alan Cumming appeal. And I was like, I'm fine with that. His career is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know, so definitely Cabaret. Also, um, I love a bit of, of like weird classical music. So when Adam Gettle started writing, I was super thrilled and mm-hmm. I would love to play Fabrizio and like the Piazza. Okay. Um, which obviously those roles are so opposite each other. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, also as I get older, I dream of playing George in Sunny in the Park or Archie in the Secret Garden, you know, a very Mandy Patinkin yeah. type role. Very, very epic and classic. Mm-hmm. But I love that stuff. After college, did you come straight to New York or did, were you someone who took a step uh, before that? Um, I was lucky because being in, New, uh, being in Connecticut, 
I had access to the city, like you said. So I went back uh, home to live with my parents and have a part-time job or possibly a full-time job. I don't even remember. And on my days off, I would wake up. My father would drop me at the New Haven train station in the morning Mm -hmm. on his way to work. I would come into the city. I would audition all day. And then I would get on a train, go back home. And my father would pick me up at the train station on his way home from work. So I was one of those kids that was just auditioning when I had the time coming into the city, spending all day with my backpack (laughs) and going back to Connecticut. Were you someone that got disheartened seeing the line of people all with the same ambition or were you like, this is mine, I'm going in, it'll happen? I I think at first I was just super excited about it. Also because it's so different from college, you know? It's so different from auditioning in college. You're meeting new people, you're clicking with new people, you're connecting with new people. Um, And then when you start auditioning regularly, you're seeing similar faces. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus I had friends that I had gone to college with that were already in New York. So that also gave me a chance to run into people while I was in the city, which is always great. So at first I was super excited and it was just auditioning for anything and everything, even though I was, skinny and short and you know I'd be like I'm gonna be in a dance ensemble probably not but hey you never know (laughs) what was the first thing you booked um let's see I guess I guess like my first full contract was um was theater works Mm mm-hmm I played Henry in Henry and Mudge after it had been at the Lucille Lortel. Mm-hmm. And I did a six month tour of that. And that is actually what made me move to the city was that rehearsal process. And then afterwards, um, I was like, well, now I feel like I'm here. So then I just fully moved to the city after that in 2008. So theater works, I feel like, is like that rite of passage for a young actor in New York City. What was the touring experience like for you? It, honestly, I had a good time. Um, it's tough because it's not a traditional tour. It's right. not a it's not a first national equity tour. It is an equity tour. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tough. You have, at that time, it was actually easier than it is now. We had two vans. We had one for a set and one for the cast. And um, although TheaterWorks, I don't believe is currently around, uh, they've kind of just pulled back and they're doing yeah. some virtual projects. Um, but uh, a few years after I'd been with them, they actually downgraded everything to save money to one van. So you had a van that had your set in the back and your cast in the front. And that is difficult. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like I had a cakewalk compared to what it then ended up being. When did you officially start working in New York City nightlife? I feel like, so let's see. I had done some summer stock in college and I had the uh, incredible pleasure to meet Kate Pazakis. Do you remember Kate Pazakis? I don't. She was one of the original people with mostly Sondheim mm-hmm. at the duplex. It was her and Brian Nash and Marty Thomas. 
And so she was in the show that I did. I did Sideshow uh, at the Cape Rep Theater. And she was in that. And I, I was literally between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And she was such a sweetheart. And she said, next time you're in the city, let me know and we'll get you up to sing at the duplex. And I was like, great, awesome. You know, any opportunity to do this and have a cocktail and sounds lovely. Um, so I feel like that was my entry point into, mm-hmm. um, into nightlife was that piano bar feel where then you start meeting people and then you start going to their nights and then you start getting pulled up and then you start guesting and then you start literally getting asked to be at places. Um, so I used to do, you know, the duplex and then I used to sing for like Emily McNamara at uh, Bartini when it was still around. Rest in and peace. I know, such a cute place. Um, so those, those, are, those are some of the things that I used to try and do. And then we used to do, there was Marty and Marissa at the Time Out mm-hmm. Lounge, uh, New World Stages and all those things. Um, but balancing that with audition life I used to find very difficult because mm-hmm. you'd stay out and then you'd get up and then you'd stay out and then you'd get up. And it was exhausting. And uh, I think after just being kind of a, a piano bar nighttime show singer or trying to do that, I pulled back and just started auditioning for a while. And then burlesque was kind of my re-entry into nightlife, but in a very different way because it was mostly my own content instead of somebody right. else's, which is a very different feel. So let's talk about that, that transition. How, how did you get into burlesque? Through Broadway Bears, actually. Um, I have done Broadway Bears for many years and it was just so much fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, doing these epic burlesque strip numbers with, with a Broadway cast and incredible uh, caliber of talent is nuts and uh, I look forward to it every year, whether I'm in it or um, attending yeah. um, or just helping out behind the scenes. It's, it's just such a cool show. And so that was my little burlesque bug. Mm-hmm. And then I was away working, um, doing a contract and someone I knew had done a post uh, saying that they were going to start a burlesque company you know, a smaller, all male. And I hit them up and said, oh, I'll actually be back before you're looking to launch. So I would be very interested. It's something that I've done in Broadway Bears. I've never created my own numbers, but I'm up for the challenge. And they took me into the show um, after we had, you know, talked about a bunch of stuff. And I did that for a few years. And then that company kind of dissolved and dissipated. And that's actually uh, Broadway Bears. And with that old burlesque company is where I met Twinkie Boots, who's my co-producer, co-creator. And we just became fast friends and we started working together. And so um, I feel like a collaboration felt inevitable. Mm -hmm. And then when, when we really weren't, you know, we were also then soloing in other people's shows and a lot of uh, burlesque started popping up in New York City. You know, there's Le Scandal at Laurie Beachman, which is one of the oldest running New York burlesque shows ever. Um, and there's some avant-garde stuff in Brooklyn and on the Lower East Side. So as you meet people, there's Homo Erectus at um, Stonewall, 
run by Matt Knife. And, um, you know, we thought we can do this. We can start our own company. We can start our own show. And uh, we just kind of jumped on board and it happened very quickly mm-hmm. that we decided to A, launch our company, B, the Lori Beachman picked us up and C, I think three months after we launched our company, we had a monthly show at the Lori yeah. Beachman. Which, yeah, I mean, I, I remember that you know. transition talking to Twinkie about it. And he's like, yeah, I think we're going to do something at the um, Beachman. Um, and I don't think I was able to come to the first one. I was like, damn it, I'm going to, I'm missing it. I'm, I'm sorry. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, 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 don't worry. We got more coming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they loved us. We thought we would do two or three and just kind mm-hmm. of see what had happened. And, uh, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, let's talk about, let's get you a day every month. And we were both like, oh, yeah. Oh, this is legit. Okay. Yeah. We can, we can figure stuff out every month. Great. <laughs> I want to take a step back for a second and talk about your name, Milo Pony. Mm-hmm. How, why, and why is it the best name ever? <laughs> I don't know about the best name ever, but um, I love, I love kitschy drag queen names. I love kitschy, you know, just moniker names. I just think mm-hmm. they're so fun. I love when there's an inside joke within the name. Um, so oddly enough, Milo is the name of the character in the Phantom Tollbooth, which is one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. or favorite books. And then I used to watch the animated movie when I was sick as a kid. Um, and so I just kind of started with Milo because I like the name. And I was delayed in an airport. I think I was sitting at JFK. I was delayed at JFK thinking about these, you know, what could my name be? And I was doodling and writing stuff out in a notebook. And I started writing Milo and I started writing all the cities I'd been to, all the travel I'd done, all the countries I'd gone to. Um, So it was like Milo Paris, Milo London, you know, all these different Mm -hmm. types of things. Um, And then I started going through colors and animals and I literally wrote out Milo Pony. And I think I then got two things after that and then the the joke clicked in my head and I went right back to it and I was like oh my god Milo Pony I think I'm done I think I'm done I think that's it and a lot of people have changed you know you start with something you think it's cute and it doesn't really pick up you know how many drag queens or performers do we know that have changed their name halfway through because many it's just not you know or, or you finally realize who you are and it doesn't fit anymore um, but I think I was really lucky that I, that I picked something that I feel like I can, I can stay with at this yeah. point. Um, and it seems to catch on. And my favorite thing about it is the joke doesn't even land with a lot of people Correct. and they'll, they'll have known me or have seen the show or have been following me for months or like a year. And they'll come back to me and be like, oh my God. I just <laughs> got your name. How did I miss this? And I've been introduced as Milo Pony because Milo is also a very like Greek way mm-hmm. or European way of saying Milo. Um, and if you say Milo Pony, there's no joke. Right. You know, there's no wordplay. And uh, so I think people sometimes also read it as Milo Pony. And then when they realize that it's Milo Pony and it sounds like my little pony, 
they they come back and they're you know they just laugh at it now were you a brony at all or have you developed the broniness once you took the name I mean, we, I've always loved a good rainbow pony who doesn't, um, but no, I never really watched it as a kid and I never had my little ponies as a kid. Um, but as I developed into my, uh, let's say queerness, um, you know, we all love a, a pretty pony and a pretty rainbow. And so my little pony is just kind of, it's just these sparkle femme ponies like what's not to like they're just awesome (laughs) do people like gift you my little pony items no oddly enough although yes i should say people give me t-shirts um twinkie boots gave me a t-shirt for christmas one year a t-shirt i'm assuming then uh, turns into a crop top no i think i kept it as a (laughs) t-shirt it said it said brony across it and rainbow dash was coming out of the o nice so, but yeah, I mean, no, but no, I've, I, uh, I'm sure one day some fan will bring me like a doll or have me like sign the ass <laughs> of a My Little Pony, but it has not happened yet. <laughs> How would you describe Milo in three words? Sparkly. Mm-hmm. Classic. Mm-hmm. And weird. I like that. I like that. You know, I mean, I, I entered things, having a theater background and a theater education, I, I come at burlesque from a very vaudeville, a cla- like a classic vaudeville mm-hmm. um, sideshow, you know, that type of, of angle. I love that, that classic Gypsy Rose Lee, that Dita Von Teese, you know, that just poised uh, statuesqueness about yeah. these gorgeous women who captivated you by moving their shoulder or by wiggling their finger, you know, it's kind of that Fosse-esque quality of not Absolutely. having to do much. And, um, but then of course you can't just mimic, you have to put your own spin on it. And I know that I am not a statuesque woman. Uh, <laughs> so you just, you find that's where my weirdness comes in. I, I come at it from that classic angle and I make it I make it Milo weird and uh, take my own my own spin on it. Who who are some of your inspirations uh, in burlesque? Not necessarily burlesque artists, but who who mm-hmm. do you take after? I love I love Fosse. I love Gwen Verdon. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Dita Von Teese. I mean, she is just the epitome of of class and sexy and. Absolutely always being so put together. Um, I love that stuff. And then to be honest, as I meet more and more burlesque performers, I take a little something from every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the spectrum of burlesque performers is super cool. I mean, there are, there's, there's all these different genres. There's, there's neo burlesque and there's nerdlesque and there's, uh, you know, people who go full out raunchy, uh, you know, doing things on stage that they're just like harnessing that raw sexual energy yeah. that they have. And and then I watch, um, you know, women and men who have just such amazing uh, dance control and just poise over their bodies that again, they they can captivate you for an entire minute by just slowly revealing that one strap mm-hmm. or just 
slowly giving you a hand twirl. And then there are other people that never stop moving. And, uh, you know, they, they captivate you by doing the exact opposite, by doing so much that you're like, wow, this is absolutely incredible. How can one person do this? So yeah, I'd say I take a lot of inspiration from the rest of the burlesque community. They push me to keep creating and do other things and try other things. Uh, because just like drag, I feel like at its core, yes, there is something that is burlesque. There is something that is drag, but there aren't boundaries. You can, sure. you can kind of figure it out on your own. How would you describe the New York City burlesque scene? It's really fun. It's really fun. And I still think, even though burlesque, I guess, is becoming a little more mainstream. Sure. Um, it's still very underground, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I, I've had people say, are you the only burlesque company? No, <laughs> absolutely not. You know, there are so many that came before us and there are so many that will come after us. And, or people just say, you know, where else can I see burlesque? And you can see it all over the city. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've already mentioned a few shows from Stonewall to Brooklyn to, there's just all these different things. And uh, even some, you know, there are places that have closed. Sadly, there were some amazing bars in Brooklyn that used to do beautiful feminine shows and, and uh, the box in mm -hmm. on the, what's that, the Lower East Side? Yep. Um, they used to have some extreme avant-garde nights with burlesque and aerial and, uh, you know, drag and all that stuff. So like, it's always been a part of the New York um, scene. And uh, you just have to, you just have to find it. But yeah, it's a really cool community. Drag race is definitely the thing that pushed drag into the mainstream. What mm -hmm. needs to push burlesque into the mainstream? I wish I knew the answer to that. Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I mean, it's just another form of theater. You know, mm -hmm. it's a it's a vaudeville. It, vaudeville is a, a section of theater and burlesque is a section of vaudeville. It was a variety act. Sure. And I feel like even theater still struggles to sometimes be mainstream unless yeah. a show is made into a movie or broadcast by MTV or done live on... NBC or Fox, which are all great things. You know, yeah. I'm not by any means poo-pooing any of that because it, it's putting it out there. And then hopefully someone will see that and say, oh, well now I want to try and see it live. Exactly. Um, but I also think, and I totally may get uh, slack for saying this, but I think we need to take some pressure off of Broadway mm -hmm. because it's not the only form of theater we have incredible tours that tour around the nation. There are remarkable regional theaters all over the United States that do incredible productions. And I just think we need to start looking at theater as a whole instead mm -hmm. of Broadway and everything else. Sure, absolutely. But yeah, you know, I mean, if there was a, if there was a, uh, not necessarily RuPaul's Drag Race, but if there was like a next burlesque star competition, mm -hmm. I would, I'd totally try it. Why yeah. not? <laughs> now, drag has also had things like um, wig stock and uh, bushwig and things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think a 
festival uh, for burlesque is in the future? There actually are festivals for burlesque all over the world. Um, we have the New York Burlesque Festival, which is absolutely incredible. And they did an amazing virtual uh, season this year. Mm -hmm. Last year, I went down and saw it live. Uh, well, one of the nights I saw live and um, it was just, it's so cool. And um, I was actually supposed to, well, Twinkie Boots and I were supposed to fly to Vienna in September, this past mm -hmm. September for the um, Vienna Boylesque Festival. Yep. And unfortunately, you know, that got canceled because of COVID and the pandemic. And, um, but there are burlesque festivals all over the world. There is, I believe, um, oh God, I used to know the number, but there, there's things that pop up that I'm like, oh, I didn't even know they had one. You could, there's a Seattle burlesque festival. Mm -hmm. There's New York, there's, um, there's one in the UK, there's one in Vienna. Uh, there is a, uh, there's a Sydney Cabaret Festival, which a lot of times features all different variety acts, including drag and burlesque and cabaret performers and all that stuff. So I think these festivals with social media will continue to get bigger and more widely known. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, you know, they're, they're out there. If, you, if this is something you're looking for, it is already available. What would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions about burlesque? That it's all about sex. I would say that's the, the largest misconception. Um, I think people think there's a difference. Yes, burlesque, you know, burlesque at its heart is stripping. It's the mm -hmm. art of the tease. Yep. Um, but being a stripper and being a burlesque artist are very different things. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, don't knock it. I have some incredibly talented friends that are strippers and man, can they move and they can work a pole and they can, you know, it's, it's not, it's not easy. Um, but I think, um, I think that's the common misconception is that it's just all about sex or it's all about being sexy. And there is a traditional sense of the word sexy that it, people think sexy means sex or nudity or um, sexual acts or things like that. When I've seen, I mean, I've, I've done my own performances and seen performances where just being super goofy can mm -hmm. be sexy, being um, extremely creative can be sexy. You know, taking your own your own talents, your own strengths and putting them out there, just being vulnerable like that can be sexy. So in itself, it runs this whole gamut of, you know, this person may not think it's sexy, but this other person is loving it. And they might be laughing or they might be smiling. I've had, I've seen burlesque acts that have made me cry. Um, you know, it can be incredibly vulnerable. I've seen burlesque acts about addiction and mm -hmm. overcoming abuse and being silenced and you know it, it's it's an art form it's a performance Absolutely. art and you can take it in any direction you want and um all of that can be sexy so yeah well, I, I was going to ask next uh if burlesque and sex have to go hand in hand all the time and, and is that a reason why we don't necessarily see it in like a hell's kitchen bar on a nightly basis Yes and no. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, like I said, at its heart, it is the art of the tease. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't have a space where skin can be shown or at least semi-nudity can happen, which Let's a lot real. of times- there, there have been enough drag queens by the end of the night are in their <laughs> bottoms anyway. <laughs> Or drag queens that strip off uh, audience members. Um, that, that, that too. <laughs> you know, so someone's in their underwear. But, um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that also um, burlesque is, it's segmented acts. It's mm-hmm. not just one continuous thing. A drag queen can get into drag and host and do a number and then do another number and do another number and that's why drag queens can host for four hours straight, which sure. bless, bless them, I cannot do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more, of a, it's more of, a, of a segmented type show instead of more, more or less audience participation like a, a drag show might be. Right. Um, so I think that's, I mean, I've, I've been with, with certain groups or drag queens that have tried to get some burlesque in the door at least for one night at a show. Um, But that's why I think it works to just kind of get hired as a solo artist because you just stop by someone's show one night, do one or two numbers, and hopefully they'll have you back, but it's just getting it out there. But I mean, I think think a theater, like the Laurie Beachman Theater or those small spaces where people are actually sitting and paying attention, that's that's that true feel of a a burlesque show, cabaret space. Uh, type of thing it's that that traditional and yeah you can still talk and drink and and you're eating and but it's still nice to have that that feel of you know you came for this show right so we, we talked a little bit about um how you and Twiggy Boots came together and formed members only how did the Beachman become your home space kind of out of the blue <laughs> um they I think they reached out to us mm-hmm. once we had launched our company. Because like I said, they have been home to Le Scandal right. for many years. And um, I think they were just looking to expand and they are getting more widely used by drag queens and um, not even necessarily New York City drag queens, but uh, cabaret artists that are touring right. through, drag queens that are touring through, that type of stuff. So I think they were just kind of looking to expand, but also have something that was in New York City, from New York City, and was a reoccurring Mm -hmm. piece um, that people could start coming back for. And so they reached out to us. And I mean, the rest is kind of history. They, we had launched in January of 2019, launched our company officially. And I think they said, oh, can you have a show up and running by March? Yeah. And we said, uh, sure. <laughs> and we just kind of jumped on it and grabbed people and, and put something together. And I remember that first night, I just thought I was going to vomit because there was just so much going on. And I had never put a show together that quickly from scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, and thank goodness we allow our, our performers to do their own, um, their own acts. You know, I'm not, I don't have my hand into your choreography or your costuming or any of that stuff. Um, I will gladly review it and offer 
help or insight if our performers need that, but we expect them to come with their fully formed numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and then we use those to curate the show from beginning to end. And we were very lucky to have Jackie Cox sign on with us um, right from the beginning and Coco Taylor right from the beginning. Jackie did our first show ever in March. Coco did our next show. And then we just started rotating the two of them because they're both seasoned hosts and seasoned queens and they're hilarious and gorgeous. And it just ended up working out that that was just gold. You know, yeah. this was a partnership with the two of them. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, it just, it all just kind of happened so quickly with the Lori Beachman and I love them because they're so easy to work with. It's such a wonderful space. It's historic. And uh, I honestly can't wait to get back there. Can you talk a little bit about your uh, curation process? In terms of how you, choosing performers? Yeah, or? how you, yeah. Social media has been great with that. Mm -hmm. um, and word of mouth, obviously, but we, we just reach out to people. You know, we had, we had a handful of guys and a handful of performers that we obviously had performed with or people we had performed with, people that we'd done their shows. Um, but you know, you have to keep branching out and you have to keep introducing things and we wanna keep things as diverse as we can. Sure. Um, we, want, we want diversity of people, of acts, of talents, you know. Um, and there's a lot that New York has to offer and even the surrounding areas, you know, we have people from Philly, we have people from New Jersey, we have people from Long Island and, you know, all the, all, as long as you can get into the city to do our show, mm -hmm. you are welcome to do our show. I've had friends that have said, oh, I'll be in, um, I'll be in the city for two weeks and they're from Chicago or Seattle or, you know, uh, Scotland <laughs> and people, I mean, we've had, you know, and we say, if, if we have a show, you have a place to perform. Yeah. Like if I have a show while you're visiting, you come on, do the show. And uh, that's been really nice. But then virtually, because we've had to obviously take the show right. online, has opened up so many doors because you can just reach out to anyone, anywhere, and say, hey, do you want to do our show? All you have to do is submit a number or a performance from quarantine you know, let's do this. So we've had, we've had everywhere from Sydney, Australia to Seattle, Washington, and in between. We've literally run the whole gamut. And uh, that's been really cool because I feel like once we are physically in a space again, when people can travel again, we then have so many more people to say, hey, if you're going to be in the city, yeah, please come and and be in our live show because it'll be, it'll just be really cool. But also when we start traveling again, we can go do, a lot of people have their own, um, their own companies, their own shows mm -hmm. in their own cities. You know, they have their shows in, in Chicago or Seattle or LA or Kentucky, you know, um, people who have that small, those small bars that do drag and burlesque and this and that, you know, in their, their tiny hometowns, I want to go. I want to perform in those places. I want to kind of just branch out and see what all these other environments are like. So I can't wait to not only have more people in our show when it's live again, but to go do everybody else's shows. Yeah. 
were there any doubts about uh, going digital? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I have no tech savvy whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about broadcasting. I think I had used Zoom maybe twice before, um, you know, before the pandemic. I was familiar with Skype. And even that was only when I was traveling and working internationally because I would mm-hmm. call my parents. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. Um, so we had to figure out, we had to do research about platforms. Um, you know, there's all these different hosting sites that will broadcast your content. And uh, I think I thought it was as easy as that. I think I thought it was like you signed up for a site and the site did all the work. I didn't know that. So we ended up using Crowdcast, which has been great. Um, But then I had to teach myself how to use OBS, which is a broadcasting software. So then you have to link your broadcasting software to your host site and then upload your videos and edit everything together. And I knew nothing about video editing. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about, about editing other people's videos, about music editing, about broadcasting software. So it was kind of a, um, an intense learning curve. And I'm, I'm still completely amateur, but we have managed to figure out a system yeah. uh, for ourselves that is working. And, um, you know, we all, thank goodness, have similar devices nowadays. So it's, I can say, oh, use these settings on your iPhone. Yeah and please film your number horizontally or those types of things. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, it helps that technology is, even internationally, is uh, similar across the board. So, uh, yeah, the learning curve was crazy. Um, I watched a lot of YouTube videos about how to link uh, media, how to link in a webcam, how to... You know, we tried to do purely live components the first time we ever did a show, mm-hmm. which used so much bandwidth that yeah. I thought my computer was going to explode. Yeah, it got so it got so glitchy after a while because the internet, home internet, was not made to run. Uh, it was not made to broadcast shows and run a webcam and tie in five other people and like it was it was a lot. So. Uh, I don't know, but I, I'm hoping that these are skills that I can continue to learn and that hopefully I'll, I can now use elsewhere. Yeah. So Members Only is award-winning. What was it like to get the recognition? It was, it was a, a really nice glimmer of light in a, in a very hectic year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just won a 2020... Broadway World Cabaret Award for Best Burlesque Show, uh, actually from 2019, which is when we were still live at the Glory Beachman. So that was really cool to get recognition from our live show that had to unfortunately close. Um, Or let's say go on hiatus, because cross your your fingers, it's coming back. but that was, that was really nice. It was just, I think I was smiling all day. And it's so funny because that's obviously a very niche award. Um, you know, unless you're in the theater community or, or a theater fan, you don't 
really read Broadway World, or you right. don't necessarily know what a cabaret award is. Um, but it was just, you know, it was just a nice little pat on the back for for working hard um, the previous year, and it it felt really nice. The Glam Awards, as of this recording, haven't happened yet. Nope. One of us could be a winner. <laughs> both of us could be losers. We don't know yet. What does it mean to be nominated for a Glam Award for you? Honestly, you know, people always joke, oh, it's such an honor to be nominated. I actually think it is a huge honor to be nominated because for me, the Glam Awards was founded for music and drag nightlife culture. Mm-hmm. So to kind of have, um, to be included in these awards that, uh, you know, I I feel like as a, a cis gendered male who does burlesque there's not really a a place for me in these awards but everyone who's a part of the awards should be celebrated it's the most amazing night of queer nightlife culture that i've ever seen and um just to see my name up there for me is such a thrill to be included with some of these incredible talents and of course there's always somebody really cool hosting and so whether you win or not they say your name out loud. And so I'm always yeah. like, ha ha, Peppermint just said my name, you know, like, <laughs> um, but that's, yeah, I think it's really cool. And uh, it's it's also fun because it's it's very much people's choice awards normally. Absolutely. Um, you know, we are, we are nominated by our peers. We are voted by our peers. This year has been really cool because it's been open to the public mm-hmm. because the public are obviously the ones tuning into our, virtual shows and our specials and our um, podcasts, you know, all of those things. So they're the ones who get to vote this year, which I think is, is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is exciting for the public to vote this year, but I will say as a nominee in the podcast category against Bob Monet, all they have to do is tweet once and they fucking win. So I'm not anticipating (laughs) a win for podcasts, but it'll be wonderful to, when I know if it was just nightlife people, I probably would win, but it's fine. It's fine. It's it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Next year when we no, go I back mean, to normal. Yeah, and I mean, but it yeah, like you said, it's sometimes it's just cool to be like, oh, it's it's our special, and then I'm like, oh, and it's this drag special. Oh, it's and it's this special, and it's this, you know, because we are uh, we're up for best virtual series. Yep, mm-hmm. I believe is what it is. Yep. Um, which, you know, and it's, it's also funny because we're always, you're always nominated against your actual peers and friends. Yep. You know, like we're, we're nominated against uh, Zeta Jones, her weekly or bi-weekly mm-hmm. um, Zeta House series, you know, where she dances her ass off in her at home. Um, you're up against she normally me. does at Rebar. And you're up against myself and Hariola. Yes. So, oh yeah, for Elation. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's just funny to be, you know, I'm like, win, lose. It's just cool to be in good company. Absolutely. (laughs) I do love how in my bio, I get to say like three time nominee of Glam Awards Best Burlesque because she's yet to be a winner. (laughs) Yeah. Right. This, this is my fourth nomination this year Two uh, two this year, one the previous year, one the previous year before that. Yeah. I would like to say I can win one. We'll, we'll, I'll I'll be glad to be a Susan Lucci of uh, Glam Awards for a while. I was just as long as I get nominated. Yeah, it, just keep our name out there. That's all it is. Exactly. Well, we're going to play a game called This or That. 
I'm going to okay. give you two options, and you are going to tell me the one that you prefer. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll start off with day or night? Night. Movies or theater? Theater. Puzzles or board games? Board games. Twitter or Instagram? Instagram. Beach or mountains? Beach. Tea or coffee? Tea. Bath or shower? Shower. Wine or beer? Beer. <laughs> Love or money? Love. Piercings or tattoos? Tattoos, because I only have tattoos. I have no piercings. <laughs> Vanilla or kinky? Kinky. Comedy or drama? Mm, comedy. Briefs or jock? Briefs. All right, there we go. That's this or that. <laughs> I like to go behind the music a little bit and learn what your signature number is and how it became your signature number. Ooh, my signature number. Let's see. I'm not really sure if I have a signature. Um, I can say the two that I favor, um, one would be, I actually, it was the, I created it for our first ever night of Members Only Boylesque presents only members at the Lori Beachman. Um, I love old school jazz. Mm -hmm. And so I chose the song Blues in the Night because it's just such a good song. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I like kind of then putting my own spin on it. So I used the version uh, sung by Lettucey, who is a phenomenal vocalist. And she kind of takes this R&B pop spin on Blues in the Night. And uh, that was super fun. I mean, I rhinestoned the crap out of things. I was sparkly as hell. And it's, it, that's a very kind of classic uh, number that Milo does. Um, on the reverse side of that, I have a number that I do to Gravity by Sarah Bareilles, mm -hmm. which I sing live. And it's a very simple number, um, but you actually have to pay attention to it. And the entire point of it is that as I am uh, revealing pieces and costumes, I'm always covered in words, mm -hmm. which are negative words. And so I am physically peeling negativity off of myself word by word. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's words that are personal to me that have been thrown at me, um, whether it is within the theater business, within the gay community, within just the world in general. Um, you know, so it's, it's one, of those, one of those numbers about physically stripping off the weight of words and the world and freeing yourself um, to be, you know, who you want to be, which at the end of the number is naked and sparkly. <laughs> How do you find your inspiration when you create your numbers? Where does it come from? Anything. I have, I have found inspiration from, you know, I'll be walking down the street listening to a playlist on my, uh, on my headphones and I'll hear a song that I, you know, love or haven't heard in a long time. And I'll be like, oh, oh, I could do a number to this. This would be cool. Or you hear a funny quote, you watch a scene in a movie and you think, 
oh, I could do, I could turn this into a number. This could be a comedy piece or, you know, if I, if I started with this and then transitioned into this song, this could be a great number too. Um, you know, things like that. I mean, I have, <laughs> I've literally gotten inspiration from like commercials. So <laughs> I love that. I'll, I'll take inspiration from, from anywhere. Um, some of the, some of the things I struggle with is I have to sometimes write it down or make a note right then and there. Cause mm-hmm. if I think, Oh, I will remember this for later. I probably won't. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely that same way. <laughs> what is the furthest you've gone in burlesque? Um, like in terms of nudity? It, however you want to interpret that, interpret that question. The furthest I've gone. <clears throat> um, well, I do have a number, which I love, uh, that it's, it's, you know, normal guy comes home from work in his normal work clothes and he slowly transitions into his fetish gear. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the number, I actually uh, tie myself to a chair with um, bandanas and blindfold myself and then wait for whoever's about to walk in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was really cool was two years ago, I got to do it at Folsom East mm-hmm. on the stage. And to do a number about kink at a place that is purely there for kink yeah. was super cool and such a rush. And the fact that I pretty much got completely naked Mm -hmm. um, facing away from the audience, obviously, but I got completely naked and, you know, kind of leathered up at Folsom East um, to do a performance. That was, that was really cool. That felt like I was going in that, you know, like pushing it far, but in that direction, in that situation where like, you're supposed to, that's where you're supposed to go. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully this 2021 will see some version of Folsom East again. I would, I would love that. It's such a cool, um, it's such a cool festival and it's such yeah. a. I've never you know, been, I would like to go at some point. It was honestly one of my, it was my first time ever attending and my mm-hmm. first time ever getting to perform because it always coincides and the same weekend with Broadway Bears. So I'm normally right. in the theater in rehearsal and I can't get out to the festival. But two years ago, um, June was, five weeks long. Mm-hmm. And so Broadway Bears was one weekend and then Folsom East was the weekend after that, I believe. So I actually got to go and uh, a witty repartee who was hosting that year um, and does a lot of, does a lot of their entertainment stuff. Uh, she called me and she was like, oh my God, I can finally book you. Thank God. <laughs> so I was more than happy to go and, and spend time with them. How important is social media in nightlife today? It's everything. And I I don't necessarily like that it's everything, but it's everything. Because people aren't necessarily, um, you know, you used to go out. And when you went out, you'd pick up the little magazine by the door, which was Next Magazine or HK Magazine or HX Magazine, or there were like eight different versions. And that would tell you what was going on. And when that stuff kind of became a little more mainstream, we got Time Out Magazine, which is great. Um, 
but not, you know, timeout is much more of a, a general sense of what's going right. on in the city, not necessarily a, an LGBTQ uh, queer or kinky nightlife sense. Um, but now you don't even have to set foot in a bar to look up what you want to go do that night. Yeah. You, you can just scroll through Instagram or go on Twitter or, um, you know, check Facebook events. There's even uh, events on Scruff and Grinder now where yep. you can go in and see what's listed, what parties are happening, what drag shows are happening. And, you know, it's just, it's just all there. So social media has become everything, but social media is also censoring us um, at an alarming rate. Yeah. So eventually we're going to have to find either a happy medium or our own sense of something where there is one site, one app that you can go to specifically for queer content. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an angel and a devil at the same time. Where do you see the state of nightlife in five years? Well, hopefully open, open and thriving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that nightlife will never disappear. There will always be, there will always be people who prefer to go out at night and there will always be cities that are open late. Yeah. So I think, especially with drag culture becoming much more mainstream, um, I think nightlife will just continue to grow Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to remember that some people don't get up to go to work at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. Some people don't start their day until midday. So then they go to dinner or go to a show and then they want something to do after that. Yeah. And that's great. You know, there will always be that sense of person that wants to go out and wants to be entertained. And, um, you know, with with hopefully censorship will figure out how to let everything in and feed it into the directions that it needs to go. But yeah, I think I, I hope that in five, 10 years, nightlife is still open, thriving and bigger and better than ever. I like that. I like that optimism. We're going to move into everyone's favorite game. It's called tea time where you're going to spill some tea on some of your favorite people, people you've shared a stage with, whether physically or digitally, Uh, people you've shared a picture with or a poster. We'll see. Maybe you love them. Maybe you hate them. We're going to find out. Oh God, I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) Well, let's see. Let's see if you can get in any trouble with Miss Coco Taylor. Hmm. Coco Taylor is the worst, extremely untalented. Um, No, God, I love that woman. Uh, Coco Taylor is so good and so willing to just say yes and take a risk. And... I feel like we kind of started around the same time, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And I've watched her blossom and um, get nominated and, you know, produce her own things. And I, I want to keep working with Coco as long as possible. Yeah. Now she's a Jersey girl. I know. Right. Oh my God. So but their weird. house is so cute. <laughs> I, know, I know. She sent me the list. I was like, I want to live there, please. Can I come visit? I know. Can I move it out of New Jersey though? <laughs> There you go. All right. Next up is Jackie Cox. Oh, I, 
I can't speak highly enough about Jackie on and off stage. Um, a creative person, a loving person, brings so much to the table in any sense. Um, just such a good, uh, a good role model of what mm-hmm. you can and should be. You know, obviously we all have our our different sides, and some people will always think that someone is rude or a bitch or a this or a that, but like all of that brings up this amazing, like, yeah, she's snarky and funny and sarcastic and just such a wonderful human being. Um, yeah, like Jackie Cox all the way. I was so sad when they didn't bring her back to be in the top four of her drag race Same. season. However, I don't think she needed to win to become a superstar. I think that she's just already on her way to being a superstar. And I mean, everyone's going to be, she's going to be highly sought after. I agree. Next up, Zeta Jones. Uh, Zeta Jones, I want to steal her waist Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. she is so skinny and so snatched and so sexy. It is stupid. Um, Such a little ball of energy. Uh, she will actually be hosting our show for the first time in February, and I'm super excited about it. Um, yeah, she is hilarious, and she's been incredibly supportive. Uh, when she still had her show, her live show at Rebar, mm-hmm. she was pulling us in left and right. Our our guys would come and do a number and dance with her, and she would allow us to promote our show. And um, yeah, she's such a such a talented little sexy dish. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Next up is the brilliant Gloria Swansong. I love Gloria Swansong. I mean, talk about classic and elegant. Oh my goodness. Also, insanely talented outside of drag. Mm -hmm. Makes almost everything that she owns or everything that she wears, makes stuff for other people, is an incredible designer and brings such a really cool light to the uh, trans and non-binary community. Absolutely. yeah, I, they are they are incredible. And if you have not seen Gloria Swansong do Judy Garland, look it up right after you're done listening to this podcast because it is out of this world. It yeah. is literally like she channels Judy's ghost. It's insane. Yeah, it's incredible. Next up, we have Uncle Freak. Oh my God. Uncle Freak, very aptly named. Um mm-hmm. Very aptly named. Uncle Freak is one of the <laughs> the weirdest performers, and I just love it. Uh, you never know what they're gonna bring to the stage. Just a just this gorgeous, and her uh, her other side is sexy Belle Afrique, um, which is you know it's just the the mix of the two. Yeah, I saw sexy Belle Afrique first, so then I didn't really know what I was getting with Uncle Freak because Uncle Freak <laughs> is literally like your creepy uncle who dances and is trying to entertain you. Um, yeah, just such a fun, such a fun goofball and just a, a lovely person. <laughs> yeah. Next up is the superstar of the interwebs, Jake Dupree. Oh, Jake is so sweet. I was following Jake for a while um, and I knew that Jake Aren't, weren't had worked we all? with, well, <laughs> probably, uh, but I knew Jake had worked with Jackie Cox, which is how, mm-hmm. Uh, he came onto my radar. Um, I love that his platform is 
you can be muscular, you can be uh, fit, but you can also be femme and you can wear lingerie and you mm-hmm. can, it's all just this mix and amalgamation of, of what you want to be. And as long as you're confident, it's okay. And it's sexy. Um, yeah. I mean, aside from that, a phenomenal performer, but that I love kind of what he stands for. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've only worked with him. He did our show once. And other than that, our, our relationship has literally just been online. Um, but yeah, just such a sweetheart, such a kind person. Next we have Sloppy Chulo. <laughs> Sloppy is one of my favorite people. Uh, he's, I mean, I can say he wouldn't, he wouldn't care if I say this. He is freaking nuts. Like nuts. He is a nutso person. He will say yes to anything. I'm not oh sure boy. he's ever said no. Yeah. Um, he is just so cool. He's, he, uh, he has his, his hands in so many different things. He's, uh, you know, this amazing burlesque performer. Um, he has his hands in the Latino theater mm-hmm. uh, side of things, which he very much does with all of his heart. Um, he's super creative and he loves that kind of bilingual and um, cultural aspect of theater. And um yeah, he's also just one of the sweetest, sexiest human beings I have ever met. Um, just a big old, big old dork and uh, has the cutest kid. <laughs> um, and also has an incredible, uh, I mean, I guess has an incredible OnlyFans. So look him up. <laughs> there you go. All right, next we have Samsonite. Samsonite is a breath of fresh air. He is one of oh god he's so talented um in all aspects his voice is insane his smile is insane his body is just woof i mean um he's like your best friend and also like your wet dream at the same time mm-hmm. <laughs> next up abel ray oh abel ray so okay abel ray and i met and i didn't even realize this Abel Ray and I met at the first Boots and Saddles. Oh, that's a while ago. Yeah, he used to be a go-go there uh-huh. under the name, he used to, uh, I think it was Link, was his go-go boy name. And when we started, when we started being around each other in burlesque, I was hanging out with him one night and I said, wait, did you used to go-go at Boots and Saddles? And he was like, yeah. And I said, I used to go there all the time and I remember you being on the bar, which of course made us both realize that we were older than we thought the other one was. Um, which, you know, there's New York nightlife for you. When you realize yep. when you realize there's a timestamp on something, you're like, oh, oh, so you're, you're older than I think you are. And I was like, and you're older than I think you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's super sweet. And I love that he comes at burlesque from this, fun like magic you know he's kind of like a a nerdy magician and he makes Mm -hmm. that fun and sexy so he brings something different to the stage next we have someone with another incredible name jason waterfalls jason waterfalls is actually one of the people who got me started in solo burlesque so i give him major credit he helped with the birth of milo pony um 
he's such a sweetheart. He's stupidly photogenic. Every time we do any sort of media and I'm editing his pictures, I always text him to be like, I hate how good you look in every one of these photos, you asshole. Um, but yeah, he is uh, another one who, who he, you know, like his, he loves cosplay and he mm-hmm. loves um, comics and all that stuff. So like he brings that to the stage. I've seen him do numbers where he was uh, Legolas from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I've seen him do numbers where he was um, Katana from um, mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat. And I've seen him, oh yeah, one of my favorite numbers he does, he's actually Jesus. So, (laughs) you know, he's fun and quirky. And uh, I think it's hilarious because he, he is, you know, I, I don't know. I wish I could find the words, but like, I, I really give him a lot of credit for where I actually am today in the burlesque world. Love that. Next we have everyone's heartthrob crush, Jack Barrow. Oh, Jack Barrow. God, he kind of just appeared. He just fell into our laps. Um, His partner used to do a lot of burlesque. Mm -hmm. And so he started doing burlesque. And all of a sudden he was just there. And there is no end to his creativity. And I love just letting him run with it. And um, he's so captivating. Uh You know, he describes himself as the birth child of Freddie Mercury and Liza Minnelli, and it could not be more spot on. It's so true. It it is literally an amalgamation of the two people. Um, But he is also, he has become one of my very, very good friends. And um, yeah, and he has also branched off, sadly, right before the pandemic, he and Go Go Gadget started their own show called Rock Solid at Rock Bar. Mm-hmm. And they only got a few nights or a few months in and uh, they had to shut down. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to see where his mind and his talent takes him because there's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. As a Freddie Stan, love it. <laughs> I love seeing it. Oh, his Freddie Mercury is nuts. So good. And finally, I want some tea on future Guinness world record holder for the oldest living twink. Twinkie Boots. <laughs> oh, he's going to be so mad you just called him that. For the future, uh, the future. Because he's always going to yeah, look this way. He Not there. He probably will. He'll have that perfect floppy hair mm-hmm. that he just flips from side to side and it never gets messed up. Um, no, I mean, he's he's my, my friend, my business partner. Um, he pushes me every single day because... Uh, I find him to be endlessly creative and sometimes he makes me feel lazy. Mm -hmm. So I then push myself to be more creative and to push boundaries and to, to figure out, you know, more of what I can do. Um, But more so than that, he's, he's just so uh, he's so open and supportive and loving. And um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better, partner going into this venture, we work really well together because we, we see the same end goal, but we come at it from two completely different ways. So we'll both be at A, we know we need to get to D, but I'll say, oh, so I'm going to go A, B, C, D. 
And then he'll go, oh, I was going to go A, B, C, D. And I'm like, great. Then we're both, we're covering all the things, but you're going to take care of that stuff that I don't want to do. And I'll take care of this stuff that you don't want to do. And then we come together and we're good to go. <laughs> and, and when will the boylesque version of Hot Honey Rag happen with the two of you? We, we should work on that. Um, we actually, there was a version of it with Jack Barrow um, and his partner, Johnny Panic. They did it, we did an Icons show uh, in 2000, end of 2019. And they did, ejected like a whole Liza Minnelli thing um, because of course she is mm-hmm. iconic. And uh, they did the entirety of Hot Honey Rag and I was screaming in the back of the theater. I, it was insane. It was so yeah. good. <laughs> you have fallen down a rabbit hole on YouTube. What are you watching videos of? Probably um, Sondheim Divas. <laughs> okay. Who's, who is your favorite Sondheim Diva? I I love me some Patti Lapone. Okay. okay. I love me some Patti Lapone. I also... I'm obsessed with Maren Maisie. I uh, got to work with her once, such a sweet woman, um, such a loss to the theater community that Absolutely. we lost her so young. But yeah, like any of the any of the women that perform in his birthday celebrations, whether it's uh, Elaine, Audra, um, Patty, Donna Murphy, you know, Maren Maisie is just, yeah, like the, the, I call them the red coat divas because there was that <laughs> one, you know what I'm talking about? There was that yeah, one birthday yeah. celebration where they all wore red and it was, it was mm-hmm. just nuts. But yeah, normally, normally Sondheim divas. <laughs> what is one personal fact about yourself that your fans wouldn't know? I have been to all but seven states. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess once this pandemic is over, you can knock off those other seven with a... Uh, I I might, but there are some that I don't really want to go to. So, okay, okay. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe a, a members only uh, tour. Maybe I can knock them off that way. That would yeah. Be there good. you go. Um, yeah, all but seven states, which is that's pretty which awesome. is weird. Yeah, it's it's. I like realized it one day, and then I randomly uh, two three years ago no three years ago got to go to Alaska because it used to be all but eight states. And then I got to go to Alaska and I was like, oh, well, cross that one off. (laughs) Never thought I'd go there. What are your current jams? What music should my listeners be listening to? Um, I am obsessed with everything that Shoshana Bean releases. Okay. I love the new Kylie Minogue, her Mm -hmm. disco album. So good. Um, Jesse Ware, Mm -hmm. so good. Um, the new Miley Cyrus is wonderful. Um, I'm trying to think of what else is on my, my playlist. I also just constantly listen to the same stuff. Like I'm one of those people that I'm still listening to some of the same artists that I used to listen to in college. That's fair. Um, yeah. What I will say as a, as a hope for things, I need more, uh, Stephanie's child albums because they're Christmas EP was so stupidly yummy yeah. that I was I was like, okay, that like now that we have Jan and Rose on uh, Drag Race, now we just have to get Laguna on. But whether we get her on or not, we have enough of a platform to have those albums launch 
far and wide and like i'm totally here for it because and do you they, want do you want it to be covers or do you want it to be original songs or, com- or both both okay both they their christmas ep was so good they covered a few amazing mm-hmm. christmas songs but then they also did their own uh, original song i think called december mm-hmm. um which was i mean i i walked around on the streets humming it all the time yeah. like the entirety of the christmas season I walked around on the streets bobbing to it. It was so good. <laughs> Listen, there's there is a market out there for drag trios putting music out. You had the AAA girls. Yeah. You got the Frock Destroyers. Stephanie's Child, you're next. There you go. And they can move. sing. So absolutely. You know. We're gonna move into the pop five rapid fire where I'm gonna give you five pop culture headline stories and news items, and you're gonna give me word phrase story, whatever you want to talk about for each. Okay. Oh god, I might fail at this. I'm terrible with pop culture. All right. <laughs> these are these are pretty easy, easy okay number one is dolly parton turns 75 oh i mean that woman is freaking amazing she i can't wait till she turns 175 because she's gonna be like share they're just gonna last forever yeah um and i you know hope she just continues to keep doing what she's doing as a philanthropist and as a as a musician because that woman deserves more credit than people give her Number two is Sarah Thomas will become first woman in NFL history to officiate, officiate Super Bowl. Great. It's about freaking time. You know, Are you excited for the Super I, Bowl? Oh, yeah. No, I love football is actually one of the one of the few things that I really mm-hmm. follow. Although this year with the pandemic, it has been such an odd season Yeah. Um, with, you know, teams half the team was gone or they had to skip a week because so many people tested positive and it exactly. was just. It was, this was the first year in a while that I haven't done any sort of um, fantasy football team or any of that stuff because I just didn't want to have to keep track of it with players going in and out and teams going in and out. So it was, it was too much. But yeah, I say it's about time. You know, women having power in sports is like, why are we afraid of this? It's it's just, it's dumb. Now being from Connecticut, where, where is your NFL allegiance? The Giants. Good. Okay. That's the only correct answer. (laughs) Connecticut is very, it's very split because you have, you know, you have, you're part of New England, but you're also part of the tri-state area. Exactly. So half of Connecticut is Yankees Patriots and half of Connecticut, I'm sorry, half of Connecticut is Red Sox Patriots and half of Connecticut is Yankees Giants. I am Red Sox and Giants. So I bridge the two. (laughs) I know disappointing on all fronts, but still. All right, number three is Nicole Kidman to play Lucille Ball in biopic. No. <laughs> I Such really a have, weird casting. I have, uh, there are just so many people that, I mean, I, I enjoy Nicole Kidman, but I just think that there are so many people that I are- I feel like she's a choice. little old now. I mean, even beside that, that's not who I go to. No. Like she's not, she's not, she's not a Lucille Ball character mm-hmm. actor. So do I think she'll do an okay job? Probably. Do I think that there are much better choices? Absolutely. Yeah. Number four is Alec Baldwin quits Twitter due to backlash over wife Hilaria's ethnicity claim. (sighs) These are those things that I'm like, why do people care? (laughs) I, 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 yeah. I remember when um, someone <laughs> called her out for not being actually from Spain. And I was like, 
is she actually faking this? Have we, has she been faking this the entire time? Is she a Rachel really Dozel? <laughs> That's what people are saying. So he, Alec Baldwin, he is gone. He doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's big enough that he can just be like, whatever, turn yeah. you off. Who cares? All right, and number five, Joe Biden's inauguration. Uh, just so good. So good. I was at, uh, I was actually at work yesterday and I just turned on um, C-SPAN on my phone mm-hmm. and just leaned it up against the wall and just left it there because if I could watch, I was watching, but otherwise I was working and listening to it. Um, I tuned in halfway through Joe's inauguration speech mm-hmm. and watched until they left. And it was just such a powerful moment. Um, Oddly enough, I mean, I remember being extremely excited when Obama was sworn in because historic and monumental, you know, the first man of color in the White House, that was freaking incredible. Absolutely. Um, And although Joe is white, we had, we have Kamala Harris who represents Mm -hmm just so many different things and so many different firsts um, in the White House. But even watching Joe get sworn in was emotional because of what we just all went through. Right. And it's not necessarily that I 100% side with Joe. It's not necessarily that I'm excited for um, a liberal man. It was almost just a sense of relief. You know, I think we all have just been so held tight uh, and clenched tightly for the past four years that just that sense of relief and release was emotional in general, that we all kind of breathed a little easier. Um, Obviously we still have a long way to go, but yesterday was, was one for the books and also watching the ceremony and how incredibly diverse the ceremony was, Mm -hmm. you know, we had um, Amanda Gorman and we had Jennifer Lopez and we had Lady Gaga and that amazing sermon. And I mean, it was just, it, it just felt, it, it felt like it should. Yeah. For the most part. It was very special. Yeah. So I have a question in the fan corner. This Mm -hmm. is a question from Coco Taylor. Coco Taylor would like to know, which New York City drag queen do you think could actually do boylesque and why? Ooh. Um, I think a lot of them could. I, she, I mean, predi- she predicted one answer, so let's see if you... She you thinks I'm going to say Jackie Cox. Yes, she did. Yeah, she thinks I'm going to say Jackie Cox because Jackie has been posting some, some very yummy boy porn on her uh on her channels um which we obviously are all enjoying uh, (laughs) because jackie is gorgeous in and out of drag um but yeah i think i think it would actually be like any any drag queen that wants to step back into a different part of their quote-unquote boy self or Mm -hmm. male presenting side um anyone can try can try burlesque or yeah. boylesque. You know, you could you could be a drag queen that does burlesque and drag. Um, you could be a drag queen that steps back into their male persona and does boylesque. You, I mean, we've had Gloria Swanson mm-hmm. do 
um, do Judy in our shows, but I've also seen Gloria Swansong do the most amazing non-binary burlesque where it's just stunning. Yeah. You know? So right. yeah, anyone, anyone Coco. <laughs> so I had my previous guest ask my gir- current guest a question. And this mm-hmm. is a question from Pissy Miles. Oh, Pissy is so wonderful. Her question is, what is the song that you are most commonly expected to perform that you hate performing? Ooh. I feel like this lends itself to drag a lot, but... Hmm. I will... Okay, I'll change this a little bit and say something that people always ask me if I do that Mm -hmm. I don't do. Um, is people always ask me if I have like a comic book type mm-hmm. routine, but I, I never read comic books. And so I know I should yeah. get one. I know I should figure one out. I know I should have one because, you know, people are always like, oh, like, do you have like a comic book or like an iconic person? And I'm always like, no, sorry. I'm sure Coco Taylor can help you with the comic book character. Probably, or the iconic, because she yeah. does a lot of really good impressions. So I should just really get on that. But it's something I still haven't put the energy into. <laughs> By the end of 2021, I'm sure you'll have one. Yeah. So now is your turn to ask my next guest a question. Um, okay, I would say, what is your least favorite thing about nightlife? Okay, I like that, I like that. I want to... He- try to expand the Block Talk family and, in, and bring in new voices. Who do mm-hmm. you want to hear on a future episode of Block Talk? Someone who's behind the scenes. Okay. Someone who maybe is like um, a producing name that maybe, you know, like we don't even really see them or, mm-hmm. you know, you see their name on a poster, but you've never met them. Um, or somebody who is that person who's in the booth at every single drag show that you've ever been to, but you have no idea who's running the sound and lights, um, which I can, you know, I would gladly give you names. <laughs> all right. I'm here for it. Where can we find you on social media and Venmo and all those fun places? Um, I am on Instagram at Milo underscore pony. I am on Twitter as the same thing. I am on Facebook as Milo Pony, and I am on Venmo as at AJ Libby, which is my normal muggle name. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was lovely chatting with you. Thank you for having me. We've been talking about this for a while. We know that we finally did happened. it. A huge thanks to Milo for chatting. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and leave us a review while you're there. And make sure you engage with me on social media and tell me your favorite episode so far. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterinthenow.com via our question link. Like, listen, love. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. Mm-hmm.